first let me salute you. I don't know if I was driving here and it started raining the way that it was raining, I might be just turning that vehicle towards Waffle House and maybe taking a little bit of a break. So I really salute you guys for coming out today. You know, we're going to continue talking about our frequency series and talking about hearing from God. But let me just draw your attention to, on a lot of your seats, you should find these Easter cards. And these Easter cards are for um, sharing with other people. Uh, you know, I know it gets a little hard to invite somebody to come to church sometimes, but Easter and Christmas are pretty much on the books for all human beings in America. So it's not like you've got to go way out of your comfort zone to invite them. So let me encourage you. You're just giving them a little bit of information. You're telling them about our activities, like our good Friday a service, which are Stations of the Cross. If any of you were raised Catholic, you know what that is. If you're not Catholic, you know about us as a church. We're interdenominational. We're not non-denominational like we don't like anybody. Uh, we're, we're interdenominational means that we steal from all other denominations and we take all the best and we put it together. Let me encourage you. If you want to get your family, your life uh, focused on the resurrection of Christ, join us for our Stations of the Cross. It'll give you an opportunity to kind of like lock down Easter weekend so that you remember what it's all about and it only lasts for an hour. Then the following day, we go right into Easter egg hunts. We have a great community that shows up. Uh, invite your neighbors for that. And then Easter Sunday, we'll have two services. So give this card to somebody and share it with them and let them know about it. And, uh, you know, I I'm really tired of you guys laughing about my accent, Okay. <laughs> Because you, every time I say something, some of you are trying to be kind about it, and you're like, you know, like, he, he's from Boston and he doesn't know it. You know, we're tend, people from Boston are tenderhearted, and, and we're, we're super sensitive, and, uh, and also I've got to tell you, I'm going to be talking about Miriam Matha today, so you're going to hear a lot of Matha stuff, so, um, but we have been talking about hearing from God, and can I just say a little bit? is that I was talking to Susan about my job, and I thought about this job that I have, and that my job is that I am a broken man trying to talk to semi-broken people about an invisible God. I'm like, how the heck did I get this job? I mean, it's, it almost seems impossible. But then I thought that, you know, the fact that we hear God speaking to us is a miracle every single day of our lives. And so let me just encourage you. I am a broken man, and we are talking about an invisible God. But if he speaks to you today, don't think that's something small. I want you to consider it something miraculous. Because um, God wants to speak to every single one of us, and he wants us to hear his voice. So we've been looking at the things... Um, how do I hear God? Then we talked about how do I know if it's God and, and not, you know, like a pizza that I ate that's making me feel a certain way or, you know, Aunt Susie who always sees demons everywhere or, you know, some weird thing that could possibly... How do I know this is actually God and it's not my um, uh, emotions talk to me? So we went through that and we encourage you to download that on our app. But today we're going to get to the really tough one. And we're going to look at the question of what gets in the way of us hearing from God. I'm going to talk about five, five situations. I'm going to move through the first couple ones pretty quick because you're probably familiar with them. 
because the last two are really heavy, and I do think that the last two are the things where we really hit most of us most. But hearing is a really important part of our lives. I think we take it for granted. Well, I happened to find a compilation of people who were born deaf, and then as a result of medicine and technology, were able to get these implants, implants put it into their ears, so that they could hear for the first time. Um, now, I, I put this together, and I want you to see it. It's going to make you cry. I mean, I mean you're going to be kind of happy cry. And, and ladies, if, you're, if you brought a guy with you and you're not really sure about him yet, this is a pretty good opportunity that if, if he doesn't cry, I kind of I move on from this guy. If he doesn't cry during this video, now, that doesn't mean he's got to have tears down. If he, he, guys will pull something like this. They may go like, do one of these numbers or like one of these numbers. So give him credit if you see him kind of moving his hand towards his face and, and then gives you that look like, what? You know, so just give him credit for that. But I want you to see these videos about how precious hearing is. Yep. What about Lynn's voice? Can you hear mine? Keep going. Oh, do you want me to talk some more? <laughs> oh, can you hear his voice? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds normal, okay? Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. You sound good, honey? Yeah. Oh. Here you go. Can you hear my voice? <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. We're not right over it. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, it's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. <laughs> what does it sound like? Can you hear me? Can you hear your voice? <laughs> Hearing is such a special thing, you know, uh, that you kind of <laughs> look around the room, let's see who's uh, got a heart and who doesn't. Um, 
But seriously, I think hearing is such a special thing, but I thought it was really interesting that when somebody significant spoke to them, it even had another level of significance. And protecting our hearing of God is so important to our soul. Um, it is really important that we guard to make sure that we hear from God and, and that we facilitate that process because it is something special. But sometimes things get in the way, even with people that desire to hear from God. One of the things that gets in our way, and I think you're all familiar with this, is that we're just too busy and distracted. We've been taught to be multitaskers. Um, I can listen to music, uh, read emails, text messages, and be on a treadmill all at the same time. And not only can I do all those things, but it actually makes me feel pretty good. And I think we kind of salute people and we, we kind of see that multitaskers can achieve things and that's really a good quality about us. Well, then you add being a parent into that. You've got cooking, cleaning, helping one child with their homework while the other one is coloring on the walls with crayons. The, the, it, it, life can get really distracted. And though this may be great, and I think some of us actually pat ourselves on the back with this being able to do a lot of different things, sometimes it can distract and rob us of hearing the voice of God. And Jesus kind of gives us a little example of this when he's talking with two friends of his, Mary and Martha. He has this conversation with them. He goes to their house, and this whole scenario kind of works out that I think really illustrates this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and as Jesus' disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet, Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, my wife was born and raised in the, in the South and, and, and has been a Christian all of her life. And, but this is like the only story in the Bible she doesn't like, you know? And, and I think the reason why she doesn't like it is because she has a little bit of that Martha in, in her, you know? She wants to make sure everybody's okay, everything's being cooked right, the meals are right, the house is straight. So she's, you know, I've, I've heard her times in secret say, come on, Jesus, give this woman a break for crying out loud. You know, because like, aren't we supposed to be like Martha? What is, what is Martha doing? here. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and so she came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You know, I mean, now you've got the Son of God sitting in your house. You've got the Messiah, somebody that they've bought in. They may not know everything about him at this point, but they have bought into the mission of Christ. And you've got him in your house. And the one thing you want to go up and ask him is not, you know, what's heaven like? And, and what's resurrection like? And how did you pull off that miracle with the five loaves and the five fishes? I mean, how did you do that? But the one thing she wants to say is, listen, I've got a lot to do. And I need you to get my sister um, to help me do this stuff. And the reason why I think that she can talk to Jesus is because in her mind, she felt well, of course, the God of all creation should be all about doing and accomplishing and being a good host and a good mother and a, a good person and all the things that we get busy in as an individual. 
But Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I mean, imagine Mary sitting as she listens to feed, at Jesus' feet. In the background, this is the noise of Martha, who is consumed with preparing for the presence of Christ. And Mary, and Martha being frustrated with Mary because she's not helping. But how much her surprise when Jesus says, listen, there's a lot of things that we need to do, but there's really only one thing that's really necessary. And making sure that you carve out time to listen to God. It's not like Jesus was saying, well, you're not supposed to have children, and you're not supposed to own property because we're anti-property, we're, we're anti-parties, and we're anti-socializing. We should all go up to the mountaintop in some little monastery, hide from the world and every distraction of the world. But he's like, no, there are things that need to be done, but there is one thing that's very necessary for every soul, and that is to take time, to control time and schedule to hear from God. You know, so... There is a time for cooking, there is a time for working, there is a time for accomplishment, there is time for, for soccer games and all the things that we need to be doing, but one thing is important is that we prioritize giving God time to talk to our hearts. The second thing I think that interferes with us is uh, that we really don't know what prayer is. And I was born and raised Catholic, nothing wrong with that. You, maybe if you were Lutheran or Episcopalian, whatever, maybe your background. But for us, prayer was something that was already written down. It was already, we were told what to pray. And there was, you know, we'd, we'd kneel when there was a certain time. We'd stand up at a certain time. We'd sit at a time. Then we'd go back up. Some bells were rung. You know, we sing hallelujah. And we kind of go through those motions. We were prayed to pray the Hail Mary and then the Our Father, and you pray a certain amount of them over a certain amount of time, and, you know, that was our conversation. But really, prayer was uh, just about kind of talking to God, telling him about, please protect the grandkids, watch over Deanna and her pregnancy, be with Dawn and Morgan, be with Matt while he's in the military. We ask that, you know, you know we go through a list of things, and then we come to this amen, and we kind of feel like we've prayed, we try to get God to focus on us, but the important fact is that God loves us, but we are, we are not the center of his world. I mean, we're not the center of everything that is God. I mean, God invites us into the center of his world and his life. But what we normally do is we try to rattle off some things, and, and I do it. This morning, I, we went right through some prayers. Pray, we prayed for the birds landing in the uh, bird feeder. We prayed for the coffee. We prayed for the, thanking God for the food. And then, and then there was an amen. And, and I think then we stopped listening. It's not like we maybe did like 30 seconds of thanking God, and it's not about time. But, it, but then we, we didn't give any space for God to actually talk back like, oh, good morning. Oh, I hope the coffee's good. Yeah, you like that bird? I like that yellow one, really cool. And no time for God to speak back. And I think for some of us that we've kind of lost what the meaning of, of prayer is, so we just don't give God time to hear. Remember, um, Jesus did not say, he who has a mouth to speak, let him hear. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So kind of look at your prayer time with God and see if it's mostly kind of requests, knocking off a couple things, 
and then shoving that amen in there, and, and maybe that robs you of hearing from God. The third thing is, is that we're unresponsive to God. Now, as I go deeper into this, I find myself more and more into this, that, that God will speak to me, but I just kind of keep on going. There's a story in Exodus 3.1 about Moses tending to the flock, and let, let me read it to you that kind of illustrates this. He's tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why this bush is not burnt up. I think that's so important to us, and I don't do it enough. It's the turning aside. It's not enough just to kind of have a, like a, a, a Sunday service and it's like, boom, we, we kind of pass God. Or a moment when maybe God speaks to us or we read a verse in the Bible or we hear some words of wisdom from someone and we just kind of go on our way. But Moses had this predisposition inside of him already that if he saw or heard anything amazing or marvelous, that he would turn aside to see this thing. And I think a lot of us go into the whole God arena and hearing from God with the intention that we want to hear from God as we're going, but it doesn't change our trajectory at all. Our tracking in life remains exactly the same. We don't do anything different. But for Moses, when he heard from God or when he felt he was encountering something or that he was being drawn to God, he had already decided in his heart that I must turn aside. I need to get more out of this. What, what is happening here? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. I really think it's interesting. I don't think God's just going to constantly keep on talking as we keep walking by and we're not going to adjust our track at all. God does enough to get Moses' attention to see if Moses has any intention of wanting to hear or learn anything. So he puts a certain amount of intrigue to attract him. Now, if we have no intrigue in God to turn aside, then the event ends right there. We just kind of pass our way. But there's something in Moses. But when, when God sees that he turns aside, all of a sudden we hear, Moses, Moses. When God begins to call to him. See, there's an interchange. What Mo Moses finds out at this burning bush, that the I am that I am is calling to him. But in order for him to discover the I am that I am, or Yahweh, Jehovah, the first thing that has to happen is for him to say, here, the I am, Moses, present myself to the I am that I am. And that's when conversation begins to happen. So that when God speaks to us, that we turn aside to, okay, wait a minute, instead of rushing along to get the name. See, Facebook has got us trained. I'm a big Facebooker. I like Facebooker. I'm not going to talk against it like, you know. It's, but it, it's designed for us 
in our mind where we kind of go through it. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Somebody got a new car. That's a cool car. Then I move up, and it's like, oh, look at that, that, that dog. That dog is dancing to the music. That dog is, you saw that one, didn't you, this week? That dog is dancing to the music. And then I land on that for a little while, and I push up, and it's like, oh, there's an injustice in the world. It's like, well, that stinks. I'm going to comment on that. And then I'm going to push up a little bit further, and I'm going I'm to find out about something else that's going on. And I just move, 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 move. We've been trained to keep moving through things. We don't turn aside to it. We, and, and when it comes to God, sometimes God will speak to us, and we'll hear it and be like, wow, that's awesome. And then we'll move on. It's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. What did you mean by that? I mean, what, is, what are you saying in your word to me? What, do you, what is your spirit saying to me right now? And I need to work on that right now instead of like, oh, you know, I heard from God on Sunday. I heard from God today. And I, it's like, yeah, but did you do any of it? Did you turn aside to it at all? And when we don't turn aside, I think that call out kind of, we don't hear that as much. Um, so the next time you hear God speaking to you, respond. Don't let us his voice go unnoticed. Turn aside. Take it in and, and, and discover what God's saying to you. Because when we receive what God speaks to us, more and more gets spoken to us in our lives. Now, this has brought me down to the one that I really wanted to get to. And the reason why I wanted to get to is because it's the one that challenges me from hearing God the most. And that's our fourth one. That is the power of shame and guilt in our lives. I want to talk about the effects that sin has on us hearing from God. Now, I'm using this word sin, which is kind of funny because pastors tend to not use the word sin anymore. And let me just tell you why we don't. Is because we know about maybe 20 to 30% of you are really following after God. We know about um, maybe another 50% of you are not really sure about this God thing yet and not really sure even about Scripture, and, but you're kind of feeling your way. And then we know there's another 20% of you that are sitting here and you just had to come in order to get a meal at the end of the day. I mean, you were just kind of wrangled in to come to the church in order to keep somebody happy. So what we did is we kind of, we kind of talk about dysfunction a little bit more, that God wants to deal with the dysfunction of humanity. But here's the problem with that. Dysfunction is kind of a psychology word. It's kind of a humanist word on how we compare the behavior of human beings to what we consider normal human beings. We define, well, you know, what, what is a regular person supposed to behave like? And then we use the word dysfunction to describe what a person not acting according to the standard of what regular humans act like, and we call that dysfunctional. But that's just us, us to us. What about the relationship between us and God? Well, there's a word unique for that. It's the word sin. And that's that interaction between us and him. And sin is a violation of, of the known will of God. It's those things that we do that we know that God says, hey, I don't want you to be a part of that. I want you to be in that. I, you know, it's, it's when we are affecting this relationship. And when we affect that relationship, it begins to affect the way that we communicate with God and the way that we hear God. But I want to kind of blow up an idea that you may have. It's kind of mythical. But I want to kind of 
well, what happens when I sin? And how does that affect my communication with God? So I, I want to read the prophet Isaiah and describe the effects of sin this way. Now, you need to know, this verse I'm going to use is in the context of God talking to his people. So it's a pretty good verse for most of us to use. So this is how sin affects me and affects you and, and, and our relationship with God and how it affects communication with God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 say this. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. You've got to read both of these verses together. You cannot isolate one of them, but they've got to be read together. See, because first, he establishes that sin does not stop God from being interested in you. Having an arm that can reach, having an ear that can hear. It doesn't alter the functionality of God in any way. It's really important, before he tells us that the communication is affected between us and God when we sin, he first wants to establish the effect is not on God. God's going to remain God. His arm didn't shrink up a little bit. His ear didn't go, what, what'd you say? I can't hear you got sin in your life. So he's making it very clear that God's, God's motivation, God's will, God's plan, God's interest, God's love is still there. God has not shriveled up because you sinned. But he wants to help us to identify, well, who changed? Now Isaiah describes what happens to us when we sin. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. This is coming from your side. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And as I look and I interpret this, particularly as I interpret it as a, a child of God through the grace of God, because sometimes if you go back into the Old Testament, you got to be a little bit careful on how you read things and kind of like, so, okay, well, this is how God deals with us today. But I, I have to look at this in the light of grace and how he works in our lives. This is not saying, God's not saying, hey, listen, when you sin, you are disenfranchised. That you're rejected by me because you have sinned. And I think a lot of us Christians are walking around with that myth, uh, myth, uh, mythology in us. I mean, that, that, that myth that when I sin, all of a sudden God has turned away from me. And we begin to question whether or not we're still children of God or if God still loves me. And then we begin to look at things going wrong in our lives, like when you've sinned all of a sudden a flat tire, and then immediately you're like, well, he's, he's after me, he's getting me. You know, God's, God's just going to make life go terrible for me because I have sin in my life. And so we've conjured up this idea of that we've become disenfranchised or rejected by God. It's a disconnection that interferes with the intimacy of communication. I think we experience this all the time with people that we love. You know, we, when we have a conflict with them or when something's gone wrong in the relationship, we've done somebody wrong, I think we kind of have that kind of feeling in, in our lives. And I think sin becomes like the elephant in the room. I mean, it really does. It becomes like this, this big object that has to be dealt with. 
guys are like terrible on this. I mean, I just can only speak for guys. We always mess up in our relationships, especially with our wives or the woman in our life. And, and then we just kind of like mess that up a lot. Uh, and then we just kind of think that we can go in there like two hours later, you know, kind of sachet in there, hey girl, you know, rubbing her shoulders a little bit, putting on a little bit of music over here. Hey, I was just thinking that maybe you and I, and, 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 and what, what are most women thinking in this situation? Dude, don't you even think about it. You're, a, you're out of your mind. There is, there's an elephant in the room. You know, we got to have a different conversation. Guys will come back with flowers and kind of say, yeah, I got those flowers for you, as if it makes it all better. But when we sin against God, there's this thing that has to be dealt with. There's this, um, this thing that is blinding us in this room that's obstructing our relationship with God. He's very clear. He says, your sins have hidden his face. It does not say he hid you from his face. I don't know about you. If you're a legalist, if you've like tasted bad Bible Belt Christianity, this should just like give you a lot of hope. Because I, I always thought, well, once I sinned, God kind of put me in time out someplace and then hid his face from me. No, it says, your sins have hidden his face. Who's in control of all the hiding going on here? It's not God. You know, it's, it's our sin. It's us. We're creating this separateness. We've brought the elephant into the room. We've caused the hindrance. It's not that God can't hear us, but that it but what is being spoken to be to God needs to maybe be a different conversation. It's kind of like if you ever had a 17-year-old son or daughter, this is purely hypothetical, take the car when they're not supposed to take the car. And they're gone for about four hours, and maybe hypothetical, this was like before there were cell phones and texting, and um, and then all of a sudden they call you and they say, hey, Pops, um, we're in the north area and we're wondering, uh, we're looking for a really good Italian restaurant. What was the name of that restaurant that you went to with Mom? Now, at this point, I'm not going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a really good, why don't you go to Carabas? That's great. Your friends will like that. That'll be an awesome place to go. We're not having that conversation. Matter of fact, I didn't hear the other about you being hungry and you and your friends want to go to a good restaurant. We're not having that conversation. The conversation we're going to have is, what are you doing with my car and what's the next step there? We need to get the elephant out of the room. We've got to deal with this issue. And so for a lot of us, I think we've been talking to God and trying to get God to speak to us, but maybe there's an elephant in the room. Maybe there's something between us and him that we want to just kind of let God sweep it. We call grace the sweep under the carpet thing. You know, we just want him to sweep it there, and we want to just go on and, and head to the restaurant as if nothing happened. But that's just not the way it works with God. I think the best example of what sin does to us in our communication comes from Jesus, and, and particularly when Jesus was on the cross. When he was on the cross, he was the son of God, and he had no sin. And before that moment on the cross, 
He enjoyed incredible moments with his heavenly father. He spoke to his disciples about the continuity of hearing. He says, the things that I do, I see my father doing. It's like, wow, that's pretty, that's, that's really online communication. He says, the words that I speak, I hear my father speaking, or I speak the words of my father. They're not my own words. And it's like, wow, he has this incredible communication. I mean, he gets baptized, and when he gets baptized, all of a sudden, the heavens open up and a voice is heard by the crowd that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Like, wow, that's incredible communication between him and the father. But at the moment, the sins of the world are laid upon him, past and future sins, and the moment they're laid on, on him, something happens. Isaiah kind of talks about the abstract and the kind of behind-the-scenes moment that's happening to Jesus on the cross in Isaiah 53. He says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So there's this, this moment when sin is laid upon Christ and it has this crushing, piercing, a grieving effect upon Christ. He was still the son of God and when you and I sin as followers of Christ, when we sin, we're still the sons and daughters of the living God and that relationship does not change. But Jesus' awareness of sin and its effect began to blind his view of the Father. I mean, he's the perfect sinless. I mean, we have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But even Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, when sin is laid upon him, the first effect that, that we see in Jesus of this reality of Isaiah 53 take coming to pass, he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And now we know that God did not forsake him on the cross. We know that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We know there is not this first separation between the first and second person of the Godhead. We know none of that is taking place. And we also know from Jesus that he knows he's not technically abandoned because the next thing that he says is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He knows God's still listening. But even in the, in the second person of the Godhead, the perfect son of God, when sin came into his life, even though he didn't commit it, it was kind of like a head rush. It was like, okay, what did I, what did I just lose? I lost my awareness of him. Now I know he's still there. And I know I am in the Father and the Father is in me and, and all that good theology. But the effects of sin is the sense, this overwhelming, piercing, crushing, grieving effect of communication that you just don't sense the way that you sensed it before. God did not spare Jesus the grief that sin has upon all of us when sin clouds our view of God. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. And even with the righteousness of Christ, when we sin, that does not spare us from the grieving and the clouding and the piercing effect that's, that sin can have on us. 
And that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's not saying that God's hand is drawn back from you. It's not that God's ear has gone deaf. And you have been sealed for redemption, but there's a grieving that happens when we compromise against God, when we sin against God. And it begins to affect this communication. But even in a moment of undeserved yet utter darkness, Jesus knew the faithfulness of God as spoken through Jeremiah. He knew this. Jeremiah 31.3 says, For God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And as a result of it, because he knew that, Jesus said, Father, I know you're still there. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And some of you are here today and you have compromised against God, not only living in the dysfunctional realm of, of humanity, but you have some things between you and God and you have an elephant in the room and maybe you have come to the conclusion that God has deserted you. He's turned his back on you. He no longer listens to you. But he wants you to know that I have loved you with an everlasting love and therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you though you have hidden my face from you. And that faithfulness has spoken to me throughout the years as a pastor, as a child of God, as a man, when I have failed and continue to fail because I'm so confident in God's love. I love what John told us in 1 John 1.9. He said, if we confess our sins, if we'll have the conversation about the stolen car, Okay, it's like, okay, God, I, the Italian restaurant thing, I'm guessing that's not going to happen right now. We're not having that conversation. No, Paul, we, we need to talk about the car. We need to have that conversation. He says, well, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You thought his arm was short. It didn't get shorter. You thought his ear was deaf. God didn't turn away from you. You hid his face from you. So we need to be careful to not let shame, unresolved sin, things that we haven't talked to God about, it will pull the wool over our eyes and ears so that we lose communication with God. And Satan will utilize it. Don't let guilt become the elephant in the room. Talk to God about it. He knows you did it. The only person who's playing hide and seek in the garden is Adam and Eve trying to hide themselves. And Isaiah says, it's what we all do. We, we hide God from us. It's not God hiding himself from us. He's always ready to redeem, to forgive, and to restore now, that may not be you, but this leads me to the last one. And uh, this one is, is a little bit difficult. I don't have as much to say about it because there's mystery in it. But I have to, have to mention it because I think a lot of you are there. 
Other times when you have waited on God, when you've done everything he has told you to do, and when you have renewed yourself from all compromise and sin, and you still don't hear, I gotta be honest with you, yes. I know that some of you are there right now. You have prayed, you have begged, and you have waited. Days have turned into weeks, weeks have turned into months, and even sometimes months have turned into years. And on the thing that you have been wanting to hear from God on, maybe that job, maybe that illness, maybe that relationship, some condition of your life, you just don't hear anything. And it can begin to play havoc on our souls. We go from maybe confusion to sadness that God, we're not hearing from God on this. And then we go to anger with God, and then we settle in the pit of bitterness. And how are we supposed to respond in these situations? Now, well-meaning Christians will come along and they'll send you a meme or they'll say a kind word. Well, when God shuts one door, he opens up a window. You know, or, uh, you know, be patient and wait on the Lord and, you know, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And that is a, that is a Bible verse. And, 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 but I think also Proverbs tells us that there is a blessing in a timely word. And we'll get all these kind of answers about what, what God's doing. And, and I've had people, like with our flooding story, you know, flooding over and over again, not able to fix it. And it's like, come on, give me a break, God. I've prayed about it. I've fasted about it. We've had all this conversation. Oh, God's doing great things. And when I hear anybody say that to me, you know what I'm saying inside? It's not really. It's like, yeah. Yeah, doing really, he's really doing a jam-up job, isn't he? Because in those moments, I maybe just don't see it. And so, let me read you something from someone just like you and I who wrote in a time when he could not hear God. But we do know this. This guy was, he, this guy was a real genuine follower after God. So much God called him a man after his own heart. I mean, this was a guy that was, had covenant with God. And God said, listen, I not only like you so much, but I'm going to put him, I'm going to raise up a king on your throne. He's like, I'm committed to you, David. But listen to Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will thou forget me forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, ha, 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 I have overtaken him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I'm shaken. See, there's this moment in David's life when I don't think David believes any of that is true, as we will continue to see as we read. But it feels like that. I don't think for a moment think David 
technically, theologically thinks that God is not seeing him or hearing him. But the everyday effect feels like abandonment, feels like being left alone. What do you do with that? Because I think everybody gets there. And I'd like to reason my way to why God does this. And you only can figure it out after you've gone through it. It's kind of like retrospective wisdom, like the flooding thing. Now I'm glad we flood. I mean, seriously. God has never done a greater work in my life than he has done in my divorce and in the flooding. Because those were two times where I was brought to the other end of myself and I desperately needed him. And now I can look back on why he would allow me to journey to such a quiet place in order to get something so good out of me. But you, after the second flood, that's not what I was saying. You know, I was angry and vengeful and confused. So how do we respond? Well, let me read you the rest of what David says. Because he knows it feels like this, but I really believe this is what it is. He says, but I have trusted in thy loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Your hand hasn't pulled away from me. Your ear hasn't turned deaf to me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's like, dude, you were just complaining that God hasn't answered you, and now you're saying, no, he's like, I know what I feel, but I know what is true. And what is true is, God, I am saved by the grace of God, and he has done great and wonderful things for me, and until I get my answer, I will not land in bitterness, but I will give thanksgiving. I will give praise, and I will trust in his loving kindness. Father, into your hands, because I know they haven't grown short. Father, into your ears, I pray this prayer, because I know you're still there. I commit my spirit. So whether you've gotten too busy, whether or not you've not taken time to turn aside and really hear what God has said to you, whether you've been in that place of where compromise has become that thing that knocks over the furniture of your relationship with God and, and kind of creates an interference between you and Him. Or whether you're in that place where I have sought Him and I just don't hear Him. I need you to hear the words of God Himself in Jeremiah one more time. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's not going anywhere. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you, and he will not stop it. Let me encourage you. If you can't hear in any other way, take the bread, dip it into the cup, and hear it again, that God so loved the world God wished that no man, no woman should perish, that he gave his only begotten son, that we may have new life. And if you can't hear it here, and maybe right now you're having a hard time hearing it here, when you take that bread into your hands, and you dip it into the cup, remember the verse of Jeremiah, I have an everlasting life, a love for you. 
And maybe you're here and you're like, whoa, I was just sitting in the 20% seats of being forced here and I've just moved into the, you know, other percentage that I'm now interested. And maybe you're we're in the interested in seeking and now you want to take the next step further. Let me encourage you. Let this be your altar moment. Because if you want to hear from God and all this talk about everlasting love and, and God hearing you really just kind of like speaks to your soul. Today, if you hear his voice saying that, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you respond to God. Let me encourage you to invite the Lord of heaven to come into your heart, into your life. Because his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And he invites you to be a part of his pasture. Father, as we enter into this moment with you, this is such a special and important moment for those who are busy, for those who are distracted, for those who have a quick amen and don't listen, for those of us who get caught in our sin, for those of us who are overwhelmed by silence. You are here, and we come to you through Jesus Christ. Speak to us through the spirit of the living and eternal God.